The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We are going to continue in our series tonight um, called Who Are You? Finding Identity in Christ. Uh, If you want to, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we'll find ourselves this evening. We're going to start in verse 14. Um, And as you're turning there, uh, I just want to take a minute to exhort us and kind of have a pastoral moment, um, a shepherding moment to lay out for us at least a starting point of how to think about something that happened this last week. So unless you live under a rock, you know that there was a landmark decision by the Supreme Court of the United States this week um, that attempts to and or has in their eyes um, redefined marriage, okay? And so um, some of you have probably intentionally avoided news and or folks' comments about that because you're wise, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) um, if you haven't, what you've been exposed to is a wide range, okay? So on one end, you've had people saying things like, the sky is falling, the world is over, Christianity's dead, and we should all run for the hills, okay? That's one end. The other end is, this doesn't matter at all, God doesn't care, whatever anybody wants to do is cool, love wins, right? So that's the two ends of the spectrum. I just want to tell you, we're not going to spend a bunch of time on it. I just want to let you know the truth lies somewhere in the middle of those extremes, okay? And uh, I do want to say to you that God is completely and totally sovereign. He's not off the throne. He wasn't on vacation last week. He knows what's going on. And uh, I don't presume to know his mind about everything, but let me just give you this to think about. Uh, Will this change make it more difficult for Christians to speak and live in public like Jesus, full of grace and truth? Probably, yes. But will this also make it more difficult for true Christians to blend into the culture and kind of just be in the mix and not really operate in Romans 12 and be in the world but not of the world or, you know, operate in Romans 12 and and be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Is it going to make it more difficult for us to just blend in? Is it going to make the the beauty of what God has established from the beginning stand out a little more? Yes. And so... On one end, I would say that much has changed, but on the other end, I would say nothing has changed at all. Our mission hasn't changed. The fact that we're going to lead with love hasn't changed. The fact that we're going to trust Christ and everything has not changed. And so my overarching idea to you, uh, and, and I wanted to take a moment to primarily say this, God is sovereign. Jesus is king. We have nothing to be worried about. And so please don't let fear uh, or anger or any of these other things either, you know, vicariously from other people or out of your own, um, you know, emotional base cause you to uh, represent Christ in such a way that would not make him look so good, okay? So just be careful. And be careful on social media. Be careful what you get roped into, right? Because if you are a part of Love City and a part of this family, um, and you go saying crazy stuff on social media, like, I'm going to call you, okay? Because <laughs> I love you and you're not going to make Jesus look bad on my watch, okay? So um, we leave with love. We're always thoughtful, always considerate, and led by the Holy Spirit. If you have not thought about this a whole lot, or maybe somehow you weren't aware of it, and this is your first idea about it, or just in general, you want to know kind of an initial starting point for how to think through it, I did spend, I had the privilege of spending a fair amount of Friday in prayer 
uh, and just thinking about what the right response is. And so I did put something on social media. You can see that on my page on Facebook. Uh, we also shared it to the church's page. So if you just want to kind of get an idea of where we're at, how we're approaching it, what we're thinking, you can check that out. Uh, if you think it'd be helpful for those that you know, feel free to share it. Uh, but that's kind of a summation of, of where we're at. And we'll unpack it more as things move along and as we you know, see more ramifications come about. But at the end of the day, uh, Jesus is still in charge. He's glorious, magnificent, uh, majestic, and beautiful. And uh, we're still going to praise his name and declare it to the ends of the earth. So, All right, praise God. Uh, I told you we're continuing our series tonight. Um, the overarching point of this series is to get us to reflect deeply on this question. Okay, so all through this series, all through every sermon, I want you to think about the scriptures that we're talking about, the, the principles we're working through. How does it affect this question for you and, and maybe for the people that you know? If someone was to ask you, who are you? But they said to you that you couldn't respond with your name, what is the first answer that you would give? Who are you? Don't give me your name. Now you've got to figure out, what is the next thing besides my name that most prominently identifies me? What is the very center of your identity, the most prominent element of who you are, the place from which all other characteristics that define you flow? That is what we're dealing with. That's what we're working through. Uh, I know I read you this last week, but I'm going to read it to you again. I think it's important and right on. Uh, this is a quote from Tim Keller. Uh, he says, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something other than Jesus. I believe that's true. I think it frames well our journey through this series. My great hope for us in this is that through the help of the Holy Spirit, as he guides us through the truth of the word, if we were to be asked, who are you, that we will answer truthfully and joyfully that we are children of God, and everything else about us will flow from this blessed truth. I am God's child. Okay, so we're going to read 2 Corinthians 5. I asked you to turn there, but I didn't do it myself. But the trusty ribbon has cut down on my searching time. So, praise God for that. I'm in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to start in verse 14, okay? Off we go. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are going to focus in on verse 17, and we're going to rejoice together in the fact that children of God are brand new creatures in Christ. Uh, what I want to do first is let's take a quick jaunt through uh, these first three verses on the way to our main point. So we're going to camp around 17, but uh, we started in 14 for a reason. So let's, let's do that. Let's take a look at these, all right? Um, verse 14 and 15 are so incredible. Uh, we could have camped there and spent weeks, but I'm not going to, I promise. 
I promise. Okay, so here's, here's the first thing it says. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Oh, love city, that this could be said of us, that the love of Christ controls us. Other translations will say the love of Christ compels us. Let's, I want to stop for a moment. Let's, let's just pray right now. I, I, we, I think we need to put a, a stake in the ground. That, it's so important that the people of God be marked that way. My, my high hope and prayer is that Love City Church, that it could be said of us and we could say of ourselves that the love of Christ compels us. Let's, let's in faith just ask God for that help in that. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, uh, our hearts are stirred as we read these verses to hear Paul say that the, the love of Christ compels and controls him, that it influences what he does and why he does it. God, may that be said of us. May of all the things that characterize us, may all the things, Lord, that identify us as a group of people, may your love be the compelling and motivating force that drives what we do and what we say, why we do what we do, our motives and our actions. And God, may this be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe you're not excited about that. I am. I just want that to be said about my life. I want to be able to say it with real, true conviction and know that it's true. Um, he goes on in verse 15 to describe uh, the most radiant example of love in all of history, right? Our sinless king dying for his sinful subjects. That's what he's describing now in verse 15. So uh, let, let's just read that again. He says, uh, and he died for all so that they, might, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Okay, so I think we need to just for a quick second say the fact that verse 15 is not teaching what is commonly known as universalism. There's the, there are those that have taken this verse and, and, and taken it to mean, and, and the term universalism means that essentially that what Christ did on the cross provided universal salvation for everybody, aside from faith, aside from uh, works that accompany faith, all of that. Uh, they, they believe that because of what Jesus did on the cross, all will be saved uh, there's different variations on how all that works, but these, this would be one of the verses they would look at. And I could see how you could get there, okay? Um, but let's just look at it real quick here and, and, and see why that's not the case, okay? Uh, it says, uh, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Okay? So, is, what we're seeing here is that Jesus did die for all, right? We have that in other places, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. We know that. Jesus did die for all. Uh, and so it says, therefore all died. So all he's saying there, what, what he, where he starts his thought in, in, in 14, he's letting us know, therefore all died. Everybody's in trouble because of sin. Okay, he's establishing that point, all right? So yes, we know that. So then let's go into verse 15. He says, so, so therefore all died. Everybody's in trouble because of sin. Verse 15, and he died for all. Okay, all right, now, now I can see where somebody might say, oh, well, Jesus died for all, glory, hallelujah, everybody's saved. Here's the problem. So that they, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So let me just show this to you. Uh, it says that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all. Now, if Paul wasn't going to then make a distinction in the next sentence, he would have just said, so that all might no longer live for themselves, right? He's, it's all, all, all. But then he, then he stops using that language and he says, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, right? So what's the, what's the next logical question? 
how do spiritually dead people live, right? We know from all of the rest of the counsel of the scriptures that that happens one way. It's through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, right? So yes, Jesus did die. Yes, Jesus did make salvation available. He did make the welcome available for all to come and put faith in him. Yes, praise God for that. It even says other places that his desire is that all would, would, would accept that glorious invitation, that beautiful gift of salvation. But we know because of many other scriptures that tragically that's not the case. And so there are those who will live and there are those that will choose not to. Uh, but, but he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, right? So what should spiritually dead folks who are raised to life in Christ do? Might seem elementary, but here's what the, here's the, the, it, this thought is tied together so seamlessly, it's almost like Paul takes it for granted. And I'm not sure we always do. I think it's important that we just say this. Someone that was spiritually dead and raised to life in Christ should do this. Stop living for themselves and start living for him. Woo! It's like automatic. Paul just has an equal sign behind it. And his flow of thought, man, as his pen is rocking, it, to him it's just a natural outworking. If you were dead in Christ and he died for you and now you are alive because of him, woo! you should stop living for you and start living for him because you were dead before him. And gratitude should compel you. The love of Christ that's been given to you should compel you then to live for him. And he makes it very clear uh, how we live for him, right? By loving him first and loving others. In so doing, we'll fulfill the whole law. Praise God. I'm, thank you. I'm thankful that God was wise enough to boil down all the 613 laws for me to love him and love others. Because I'm, I'm not that bright. And I'm not that good at memorization. And so not only would I not violate some of those laws, I probably wouldn't even remember them all, right? But he made it real easy for me. Love me first in everything with all your heart and love others. And in so doing, you'll fulfill all those and bring me glory. Praise God. I'm so thankful that the gospel is so simple that a child could, could understand it and believe it, but it's so deep and so wide and so beautiful that I could contemplate it the rest of my life and, 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 and all of eternity and never exhaust it. It's both. It's wonderful. Amen. Okay, uh, we're, now we're in verse 16. So it says, um, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Uh, point of interest for all the Bible nerds, you may not care, some of you will, some people think that this means Paul may have encountered Jesus in his ministry, may have even been one of the Pharisees standing around, listening to him teach, gritting his teeth. Um, we have no way to know that for sure, but that could be what he's saying here. Uh, I think it would be, it kind of makes their relationship interesting. Er, that's not a word. Um, just got to let you know I know when I use terrible English. All right, uh, so... That might be what he means there, but here's, here's the takeaway, and I think what we should look at. We often think that we would be better off to have Jesus in the flesh, that we would somehow be better Christians or have greater faith and obedience if he was here with us in the flesh. Jesus knew that this common belief we have was not true. This is why Jesus told his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That's John 16, okay? God is always about our best. I think so many of our problems would be solved. So many of the deceptions that we get tripped up in would, would have no power over us if we just would be convinced of that simple truth. God is always about our best. 
And that is why his plan was never just that God would be with us through the incarnation, but that God would be in us by the indwelling of the Spirit. And, and let's just think about this practically with the information we have. Let's think about it. The disciples were with Jesus in the flesh when they argued about who would be greatest in the kingdom. Is that true or untrue? So what are they distributing there? Ultra-spirituality, humility, and the beauty of what happens when Christ changes a heart? No, they're being knucklehead, prideful doofuses, and Jesus is with an earshot, and they're over here talking about who's going to be the best in the kingdom. And you can just see Jesus facepalming, like, guys, I'm right here. I have come to turn everything that you think upside down. And, and you know, this, it's one of those how long do I have to be with you moments, right? So that's happening in the very presence of incarnate Jesus. Um, the disciples could still see him in the flesh when they turned to run away when he was arrested and tortured, right? Didn't make him any more bold in that moment, did it? Um, but after the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled at the day of Pentecost, these brothers, every one of them, went full force all the way to their deaths, preaching and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. The only one that didn't get martyred was John. That's because, for some reason, the boiling oil just didn't kill him. He was just tough. Uh, or God spared him, or both. I'm not sure. But the rest of these guys died uh, preaching that Jesus was the Messiah and that he rose from the grave. So something happened. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter the denier stands up in their midst and begins to preach by the power of the Spirit uh, and lays out the prophecies concerning Christ. So on the day of Pentecost, right, they're all in the upper room, got the tongues of fire. They start all speaking in tongues of other men. Everybody's like, hey, I understand that, but I'm not from here. That's weird. These guys are probably drunk. I don't still have a hard time understanding why that's the conclusion they came to. Like if somebody came to me and can like speak a whole bunch of different languages, I'm not just going to instantly write them off as you're drunk. I'm probably going to say, wow, you're learned. Can I learn something from you? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so, the, you know, Peter stands up and he says, we're not drunk as you suppose. And, and, and he lays it out. Um, he, he lays out the prophecies concerning Christ. And then he tells them this. He says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is standing in the street, empowered by the Spirit, who is God and is love, and tells everyone they are sinners who need to repent. That's, that's his message. You guys killed Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Um, you might be asking, or you might be thinking, how could something so bold and offensive be loving, right? Because these guys are in the street having a good time. They're there for the festival. They're like, hey, we got rid of that troublemaker Jesus and, and all the mess he was talking. And then here comes Peter to stand up and just completely destroy everything they had come to believe and to say, I'm here to tell you exactly the opposite of what you've decided is true. The guy that you just murdered is the Messiah sent from God, and y'all need to repent. Here's what's interesting. I mean, you can decide whether that's loving or not. I believe he was empowered by God's Spirit, that God, according to 1 John 4, 8, is love, and so what he was doing was absolutely loving, and I think that the outcome tells us the same thing, because what, are these, what, what do all these people do? What must we do to be saved? This is their response, right? And so we see uh, love-motivated, bold truth uh, causing change in the hearts of people. And so uh, the, all of that being empowered by the Spirit and 
Jesus knew what he was doing when he ascended to the Father and sent us his helper, the Holy Spirit. I think it just, it just makes sense, right? Jesus could be here with us right now, influencing us. I could sit down. He could come in incarnate and speak to everybody. He could influence us. We'd be rallied and motivated. But the Holy Spirit right now, all over the world, there's people just doing exactly what we're doing right now on complete other continents. And because the Holy Spirit, our helper, is here, they have the same exact uh, excitement and passion and help from God that we're having right now. Jesus knew what he was doing. And, and I, I really revel in that fact, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, truth without love is not truth, but love without truth is not love. I know that sounds like maybe trickery or wordplay, but just think about it. Truth without love is not truth, but love without truth is not love. And we will do, do, we will do well to remember this in our day. Okay, that brings us to verse 17. And this is our party verse for the evening, okay? Excited about it. Therefore, so he gives us all this other stuff, right? He starts with, for Christ, the love of Christ controls us. He's died for us. We should not live for ourselves. Now we don't recognize people according to the flesh. He gives us all of that. And he says, okay, so the therefore is, so because of all of that, this is true. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Man, if you needed some good news to cheer you up, man, if you're just grumpy this week, you just heard it. I don't know if you knew you heard it, but you heard it because that's good news. All the old junk has passed away. The new has come because of Christ, man, that we are brand new creatures. Some translations say creations. We are brand new creations in Christ. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm excited about it. We'll see if we can get you there. Okay. Let's break it down. First of all, I think we should, we should point this out. If anyone, that's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? So that means all sizes, shapes, creeds, and colors are welcome to come be in Christ. That's good news. Because if there was going to be some like class of people set aside and kept apart from being able to come be in Christ, it would have been the most wretched, dirty, nasty ones, and I'd have been in that group. And so I'm real glad that the call today is all, everyone, anyone, all can come. He died for all, anyone who is in Christ. They can be a new creation. They can have all the old things go away. The great exchange happen, and, and, and new things come. And I'm thankful for that today. If we are indeed in Christ, we are a new creature or a new creation. Uh, we are not a modified version of our old self. We don't just have new habits or new language or new social circles. We are absolutely, totally, and completely transformed. This is a miracle and a gift from God who is the only one capable of such transformation. There is no amount of behavior modification, no amount of psychologizing. I'm not against those things, but ultimately what is needed in the heart of every human is transformation. King Jesus himself by his spirit is the only one capable of that. That's why... He's God, and we sing all the songs to him, right? Amen. Uh, some of you know exactly why this is so exciting, because you tried over and over again to just change your behavior or add or take away things from the old you, and you know for sure that it wasn't until Christ came and made you brand new that you had the power to change what needed to change. Some of you went through the process, and isn't it demoralizing? I mean, I know what that was like. Some of you like, okay, I got to stop doing this. It's wrecking my life. It's wrecking the lives around me. Okay, ready? Here we go. Right, I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this change. And I try my hardest and then 
it doesn't work. Some of you went through that so many times, man, you were left with little to no hope. And you know today, there is, I, could, I could bring up person after person here because I know your stories, man. I could bring you up here and you would say, Here's what, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. When I was about to totally give up, Jesus came in and did what was needed. Changed my heart. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect today. I still struggle. I'm still working through stuff. He's still making me more like him as every day goes by. However, I know that I have the power today to not be chained to the things that used to bind me. Some of you know this is exciting. Some of you know the difference between a modified old you and a brand new you. And it's worth rejoicing in. Amen. Amen. So, uh, we're, we're new creatures. That's exciting. Here's the next thing he says. He says, the old things passed away. As children of God, we are free to let our identity be rooted in our Savior instead of our sins. We don't have to carry the labels or stigmas or the identity baggage of the sins we've committed or the sins that have been committed against us. So many people are tragically identified by their sins or the sins of others. There is freedom from this torture in the arms of Christ. And before I go on to explain this, I just want to make sure I say that again to you today and make sure you, we, we have this incredible tendency as humans to somehow exclude ourselves from like all and everyone and anyone language. Can I please say to you today, the ability to no longer be tortured by your identity, your identity being rooted in the sins you've committed or the sins that have been committed against you, that offer is available to you today. You are not the exception. You're not the one that was just, just on the other side of so dirty that Jesus won't mess with you. You're not the one that's been violated so bad that your, your heart has been so darkened that Jesus can't come and transform that. You are not the exception to this rule. You are absolutely welcome to be in Christ today by faith. You are absolutely welcome to go from old to new to be transformed to be set free. Okay? Now we'll talk more here about what that looks like and how it works. Okay? Uh, there are many people who believe lies all the way down to the core of who they are because someone's words or actions influenced their identity or their sense of identity. Uh, we know this because many victims of physical abuse, both children and adults, will come to believe that, that they'll actually say these types of things. They'll believe it's their fault that someone is beating them or hurting them. They will say things like, uh, I shouldn't have made them mad, or I was stupid, or I am stupid, and I deserved it, because both words and actions of others have reinforced for them an identity of worthlessness. To know that people truly believe they have no worth should break our hearts as it does our fathers. Some of you, this is not an abstract idea that you're grappling with as I'm describing it to you. For some of you, this has been reality. And I want to say to you today, the word of God is true. I don't care what others have believed about you. And please hear me. I say this with no disrespect and completely out of love and care for you. I don't particularly care what you believe. If what you've come to believe is that you're worthless, because that's not true. Because God's word trumps how you feel. And it's not that I don't care how you feel. I just want to rattle you enough to see today that there's another option besides potentially what you believe. And if what you've come to believe today is that you're worthless, I want to provide you with ironclad proof that that can't be true. Yeah, but you don't know how dumb I am. I don't care. Yeah, but you don't know how many times I've messed up. I, I don't care. There's, there's literally nothing you could tell me that could convince me 
that you're worthless because of what the scriptures tell me about you. Okay? Let's keep working on it. Here's the truth. If you've believed you are worthless or you know someone who has bought the lie that who they are is determined by the harsh words and treatment of others. Here's the truth. Whether you know somebody struggling with that or that's you, this is you yourself. Let me say it to you. You are not worthless. And no one has more authority to determine your worth than the one who made you. Let me, let me flip you a scenario for your consideration, okay? Let's say there's an artist, and um, they, they work in clay and pottery, and uh, they, they, they spend a bunch of time, uh, hours and hours, with put this lump of clay on the spinning wheel, and they, and they mold that thing into a really in, you know, intricate bowl, and then they, they take it and they paint it with incredibly detailed designs, and then they, they have an exhibition coming up, they bake that thing, they get it sealed, it's ready to go, it's, and they, so they have an exhibition coming up, they put a price tag, the artist puts a price tag of that thing on 100 bucks, and they set it out on the table at their exhibition, and people are coming by to appreciate art, and uh, let's say that someone comes along, comes to the table, looks at this piece of art that this artist made, and, and, and here's, their, their, uh, here, here's their idea about it, they say, if they pick it up, they look at it, they say, this is junk, this isn't worth anything. Here's, here's the problem with that person. They don't know the time and affection and skill that went into making that bowl. And the artist would rightly tell this person to kick rocks and head on down the road with their negative critique because they don't know. You don't understand what's in that bowl. You don't understand what that's worth. You don't understand why that's valuable to me. And your opinion is ill-informed, misinformed, and it doesn't matter that much. So put my bowl down and off you go. Right? <laughs> Can I also lovingly submit to you that the bowl does not set its own value? The bowl doesn't set its own value. The artist does. It's the creator of the piece that determines the price. God has made clear in verse 15 what you're worth. The most precious currency that has ever been exchanged was paid for you. We do not let the opinions of others or even our own determine what we are worth. We see that our value is too high to be calculated. In that King Jesus died, paying for us with his perfect, precious blood, so that we may live. The next time you start to get on that mental hamster wheel, trying to figure out what you're worth, and you start to let all these factors come in, well, this person did this to me, or this person said this to me, or I did this, or I failed here, and over and over and over again, and you're starting to let that drag you down in your estimation of yourself. I'm not trying to get you to make much of you. I just want you to see you through the eyes of the one who made you. You are precious to him. Your value is incalculable. You know what that means? I, could, I can't do math and come up with a va- It's too valuable because the blood that flowed from the veins of Christ is too precious to put a price on. And that's what he paid for you. So what does that say about what you're worth? And, right? And, and have we caught it right yet? God's the artist in the story and you're the bull? So I don't care what else someone else comes along and says. I don't care what someone else comes along and does that might reinforce a lie you've already believed about yourself. Your identity and the one who has the authority to determine what you're worth and who you are is the God of all who made you. And so I would just appeal to you. I would humbly set before you this idea. When you're trying to figure out who you are or what you're worth, I would ask you to go to his word and see what he said about it. He's the one that made you. He's the artist, man. You're the bowl. Quit thinking you get to set your price. You don't. It's him. 
And his price is higher than you would probably estimate. He gave everything to have you. Apparently you were valuable to him. We are free today to let our identity and worth be established by the one who made us and loves us and bought us with his blood. Because he has forgiven us, we are set free to forgive others, and thus we are not doomed to be identified by the sins that they have committed against us. You see that? The ticket, the key to being able to be free from the sins of others affecting our identity is forgiveness. And how is it that we have the potential to forgive? It's because we've been forgiven, right? In all good virtues, we always follow after the footsteps of King Jesus. He went first. How do we know how to love anybody? How do we know what love looks like? How can we even come close to understanding something so deep and wide and mysterious as love that, that God defines himself within, he says, in one John, he says, God is love, man. All of a sudden, my head starts to spin. How, how do I even begin to understand that? Something that is flowing from the very character and nature of our eternal God. How do I, how do I start to grapple with that? I look at Christ, right? That's what one John tells me, that by this I know love, that he laid down his life for us. Oh, okay, so now I have a starting point to understand. Okay, so I stare, I set my eyes and my focus upon the cross of Christ. If I want to understand what love is, if I want to understand what it means that God loves me, if I want to understand what it means that I'm called to love him and love you and love my enemy, then i got to look at Christ and his cross. And what I'm going to see there is beauty and sacrifice. And what I'm going to see is somebody... Uh, Doing something for somebody that maybe didn't even care at that moment. I'm going to see somebody paying everything in order for relationship to be restored. Because the old things have passed away, we are not only free from being identified by the ways we've been violated, but also by our own violations. This is only possible for those in Christ but oftentimes even they do not receive this beautiful gift, right? So you're free not only from being defined by the ways people have violated you, you are free from being defined by the violations that you have trespassed and perpetrated. This is only available through forgiveness in Christ, but many times those who have been forgiven in Christ don't even open up that beautiful gift and receive it and let it affect who they are and how they conduct themselves. Uh, I was at an event recently, uh, and there was a lot of bikers there. I'm sure your imaginations are running wild. Okay. It, it was a gun show, all right? Some people are, uh, I didn't want to say that, but whatever. Okay, so I just, I, I thought about, I'm going to say there was a bunch of bikers. What are all the options of places they could think I am? Um, gun show is probably the least offensive of all the places you could have thought I was. Okay, so hallelujah, there you go. Um, anyways, so what I noticed when I saw these, there was tons of them in there. Um, and what I noticed is that they all, they wore these vests, and these vests had patches all over them. And I, I was looking at the patches, paying attention to what they were, and, and some of the patches were like to commemorate like where the biker had been. Some of the patches uh, was kind of to let everyone know who they associated with. And some of the patches, in some cases, was even things they had done, like, um, you know, almost things of merit that they considered uh, noteworthy to let people uh, have an idea about. So I thought it was interesting that these vests and patches were the way that the bikers were identifying themselves to those around them. And I think that we oftentimes are wearing vests full of patches that tie us to an identity that should have long passed away. In contrast to that, let's think about this. In Isaiah chapter 60, 61, we see Isaiah rejoicing as he declares this. 
For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Here's here's what I want you to see. Have you lied? Have you ever lied? Because of Christ, you need not wear a patch that says liar. Have you stolen? Because of Christ, you need not wear a patch that says thief. Have you ever been addicted? Because of Christ, you need not wear a patch that says addict. And go on down the list, all the ways you failed. You need not wear for life this patch that identifies you with your sin. Like Hester Prynne in the Scarlet Letter, we are not doomed to wear garments displaying our sins. Because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, our identity does not flow from our failings. We have the privilege of repentance and the promise of forgiveness. And we get to wear our Savior's robe of righteousness instead of our filthy rags. And so if today you've gotten to the point where you've found some type of twisted comfort from wearing your vest, full of all of the failings of your own and full of the the trespasses of others against you, I'm asking you today, I'm asking you to take that off and trust Jesus enough to put it at his feet and let him wrap around you garments so much better the robe of righteousness that he paid for with his blood. He'll share that with you. He'll clothe you in something that'll protect you, not only from the destructive thoughts of your own, but the destructive lies of others. Trade in your vest today, friends. It's not served you as well as you think anyways. He'll clothe you with the robe of righteousness instead. And this is true about everything Jesus asks. If he's asking for your vest of patches, he's always going to give you something better in return. Give me that dingy old thing. Let me give you a bright white robe of righteousness. And what happens instantly? See, I had that, had that vest of patches and I'm walking around. I'm identified by all who can perceive it, by these sins and, uh, of, of my own and these sins of others. And, and instantly, as I'm willing to take that off and I'm willing to trust Christ with it, I'm willing to take his garments instead, my identity has automatically switched. I am instantly going to be associated instead of in myself and my own failings and my own deceptions, I'm going to be now associated with Christ and his righteousness because there's no mistaking that robe. There's no mistaking the, the pure white beauty of the righteousness of Christ. And for that, I'm thankful. Praise God. I believe that this is one encouragement that we can offer as we seek to lovingly engage those who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Because they have believed the lie that their identity is reduced to only their sexual urges or preferences. They feel like Jesus wants to take something from them. It makes, it makes, uh, it, makes it so talking about the issue from a biblical perspective is an assault on their very identity. We must be prepared to thoughtfully and lovingly explain that Jesus doesn't want to make them less or bring them low. He wants to offer them an identity that flows from his love and affection for them instead of from their sinful tendencies. I believe the heart of Christ is broken when anyone chooses to identify with anything other than the beautiful privilege to be called children of God through faith in him. The truth is, issues of identity are going to be front and center as we seek to fulfill the automatic outworking of the beauty of verse 17. Because we are new creatures, the old is gone, the new has come, 
we see here the flow of thought. We are instantly given as a part of our new identity a mandate to be ministers and messengers of reconciliation. And if you're going into into this culture at this time, you are going to encounter these issues. And that's why, as uncomfortable as it might make somebody to, to talk about it, the reality is we can't avoid it. And we have to understand how to thoughtfully and lovingly engage these things. This means that we cannot be thoughtless or crude as we engage with the issues of our day. We must lead with love and at the same time stand fast in truth. You have probably uh, seen the headlines recently about uh, Bruce Jenner transitioning from his gender of birth to the gender he associates with psychologically. I want to let you know, first of all, that I'm not mentioning this case specifically to point him out or to be mean. It is simply a specific case from which we can draw out a principle for conducting ourselves in a thoughtful and a biblical way. It personalizes a little bit because our tendency as humans is to demonize anyone that disagrees with us, anybody that thinks different than us. We are oftentimes not good at putting ourselves in a place to understand a variant perspective. And so um, I want you to understand that uh, I'm speaking about this in specific terms because it, it, puts, it puts a person whom Jesus died for in your mind as we talk about it. Okay? Jesus died for all, right? You guys still believe verse 15? Yes? We're all together? Okay, good. Here's, here's what I want to say to you about that. I, I, want, I want you to know, I, I, there is much that could be said, entire sermons that could be preached. I'm going to give you a principle and a grid from which to begin to think about these issues, and I'm going to pray for you constantly, as I already have been, that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you as you continue uh, to figure out how to navigate being an ambassador for Christ in the midst of a culture that's not that happy about what he has to say or has come to believe what he's saying is something different than what it really is. Okay? Here's, here's how I would encourage you and lovingly and humbly submit to you to think about a situation like Bruce Jenner's. We all, we all struggle with disordered desires as a result of sin. Those who are struggling with gender identity are not to be treated with any less love or compassion or care than someone who's struggling with suicide. Both are dealing with deceptions about identity. Will you buy that? And that's why we're having a whole sermon series on identity, because much of the sin and entrapment and things that we fall into are the root cause is the fact that our identity is not found in being a child of God. The person contemplating suicide and the person that is struggling with gender identity, both need to have love and compassion and the gospel shared with them. Both are dealing with deceptions about identity and both need to be pointed to the gospel so that their identity may flow from it. I'm going to read you a quote from Spurgeon along these lines. It is unfair for us to expect those who are not in Christ to live as if they were a new creation. Let's say that first. Let's get our minds right first. <laughs> I'm a, can I read that one more time? Let me just take the liberty. It is, <laughs> you like that? It is unfair for us to expect those who are not in Christ to live as if they were a new creation. Can we please stop doing that? However, it is not unfair to expect a changed life from people who say they are Christians. Woo, this gets more fun by the minute, doesn't it? He says this, I know no language, 
I believe there is none that can express a greater or more thorough and more radical renewal than that which is expressed in the term a new creature. Mm. Thank you, Mr. Spurgeon. We must remember that being a new creation doesn't mean that we are perfect. It means that we are changed and that we are being changed. Let's not get that twisted, right? Amen. The gospel is the only hope we have for being rescued from our constant tendency towards finding our identity in lesser things than we were intended for. The gospel is our only hope for being rescued from our constant tendency towards finding our identity in lesser things than we were intended for. It is only through the gospel that we are free from the essence of who we are being defined. It is only through the gospel that the essence of who we are, that we are free from that being defined by the failings of others or of our own. All of us were spiritually dead and broken because of sin. All of us were left grasping for something to anchor our sense of self into. Can you, can you relate to that? All of us, in the deadness of our sin and our separation from God, we were left grasping for something to anchor our sense of self into. This, is what we, this manifests itself in many ways. But what I'm trying to get us to do is to be able to look and get past all the, maybe the individual manifestations and understand that the root cause of much, if not all, deviation from the will of God is a misunderstanding of identity. This is a big deal. For those who are in Christ and for those who are not. But God's great love for us caused him to make a way that we could set the anchor of our identity into the rock of our salvation. And instead of being vagabond orphans, we can be children of God. It's through the gospel that he did that. You see, every single one of us, the Bible is clear, have the stain of sin. None of us is perfect. Adam and Eve fell in the garden. All of us since then have inherited sin. We are sinners by nature and choice. But thank God he didn't leave us as that being the only way we could be identified forever. He didn't leave us in a vest full of filthy patches, identifying us with all of our failings and the failings of those around us. He sent Jesus to fix the problem. See, none of, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't take the vest off. We couldn't get the patches off. We couldn't fix the problem of imperfection ourselves. There was a gulf between us and God because of our sin. He's so perfect and holy that the imperfection that had become our poison, it, we, we couldn't come into his presence. Sin separates from God. It's the instant uh, result of, of the, the, the imperfection because God is so holy and so perfect. His, his, he's compared to light in 1 John. I think it's so so deep and, and beautiful that that's true because light, in, in, its, in its very essence, it cannot be mixed or diluted by anything. It's pure energy, and, and God is that way. He cannot, he cannot come in contact with our imperfection. I think it would be to our detriment is the real issue. I don't think it would harm him so much. I think in, in the same way that oftentimes when God shows up and stuff starts burning throughout the scriptures, I think that's what, the kind of problem we'd be having in imperfection. But here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> the, road, the robes of righteousness, they're fire retardant. <laughs> Praise God. Because he has clothed us in righteousness. We can, here's the kind of language the scriptures use. Because of that, we can approach the throne boldly. Like, a like my kids come to me, man. My kids don't have to check with a the secretary. They don't have to make an appointment. When I walk in that house, guess who's running right to me? No checks, no balances. The kids are right there. Why? Those are my children. They have uninhibited access access to me whenever they want it. 
Woo! And because of Christ, that's how I get to relate to God. Are you kidding me? What do we have to be sad about, dear ones? Woo! I, I got a problem. Well, guess what? I can take it to the one that can do something about it. He's not going to hold me at the door because I've already been clothed with the righteousness that allows me entrance into his glorious presence. I get to come and I get to exchange him all of my worries and my frets and all of my failings. I get to take all of that, trust him with it, know that he'll take it, make a great exchange with me and offer me peace and joy, forgiveness, repentance, and peace instead. All of this is possible because of what Christ came and did. This is the hinging point. Can you believe this? Will you trust that Jesus coming, living a perfect life, and then dying in your place for your sins, that that's the way God fixed this problem? There's a lot of ways people presume that God handled the sin issue. See, some people think it's all up to them, that if they stop sinning so much or they start doing better things, that somehow that will fix the sin problem. The scriptures are clear that's not the case. There's only one way. It's through faith in Christ. We have to, somebody else has to come and robe us in righteousness. We can't do it ourselves. Will you trust what the scriptures say today? I'm trying as plainly as I can to lay out before you the truth of the gospel, the good news. We are sinners and we're in a lot of trouble. Jesus made a way that that doesn't have to be the case. Will you trust today that his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his triumphant resurrection is the plan God had executed perfectly and now is in place for us to be children of God? Can you trust that today? Will you believe it today? Maybe, can, I just, can I submit your own life as evidence? If this, if this was a courtroom and you're the jury, can I just submit your own attempts at, 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 at fixing all these identity issues yourself? How is that going? How is it gone how has it gone to try to just be, modify your behavior a little bit or stop doing this or start doing this? How, how long does that last? Does real peace and joy and assurance in God come from those frail attempts? I'm asking you to set aside everything you thought you were going to do and trust in everything that Christ has already done. Let him robe you in righteousness. Let him give you the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the key here. The reason why stuff keeps failing is because you're trying to do it yourself and you were never made for that. But what, what Jesus did, that's why he said to his disciples, you guys are, you guys are going to need help. <laughs> it's a big job I'm giving you. It's a big call to walk and live and think like me. And that's what I'm asking you to do. You're not going to pull that off. So I'm going to have to send you a helper. I'm going to go and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to lead and guide you. He's going to talk to you and he's going to empower you. Not to perfection, but to be more like me each day. Will you trust in the gospel message today? Will you trust that it's not about you or what you've done, but it's about him and what he's done? The work is already finished. The gift is there wrapped for you. Will you take it and unwrap it and receive it and enjoy it? Please. Please, let your identity flow from the God who loves you. Let, let the first thing that could be said about you, let the first thing that would come out of your mouth <laughs> be that you're a child of God if someone was to ask who you are. And there's so many other beautiful things that flow out of that truth, isn't there? Because I'm a child of God, I am a new creation. Because I'm a child of God, the old things have passed away. Because I'm a child of God, I don't walk around with chains on my wrist. Because I'm a child of God, I'm free today. And we're going to spend a whole bunch more weeks saying, because I'm a child of God, da, 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 da. and we're going to keep on rejoicing. We're going to keep on letting the truth of the beauty of identity in Christ crush all of our identity idols into dust. I'm really looking forward to it. 
May we be a people who can say with pure conviction that it is the love of Christ that controls us. May we rejoice in the truth that because of Christ, the old things have truly passed away, that the new has come, and that we are new creations because of him. May this cause us to be loving and thoughtful ambassadors in the time and place and to the culture where he has placed us. May we rejoice daily to be called his children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We are thankful people today. Our hearts, Lord God, feel as if they're going to burst. We ask you to increase our capacity for thankfulness and love, Lord. We are overwhelmed by how good you've been to us. We are overwhelmed by your invitation to be your children. We know that in and of ourselves, there is nothing about us that makes us worth that. There is nothing about us in and of ourselves that would cause you to invite us into your glorious presence. But I thank you because of Christ. I thank you because of your love for us. I thank you because you have valued us much more than we even value ourselves, that you have made a way that we could repent of sin, that we could be forgiven and that we could be given the righteousness required, that we could be robed with the, with the garments of salvation that would allow us access into your throne room, that we can come to you, that we can run to you as a child runs to their father and we can bring all of our worries and all of our failings and all of the things that vex us and God, we can lay them at your feet and we can trust because your track record is perfect, that you will be faithful to do what is needed with those things, and that you will always give us something better in return. God, please help us to be better at living out this truth. Please help our lives to be a better example to those around us that these things are true. God, let us be so full of joy and passion because of the righteousness that you've given to us. Let us be so full of joy and passion because of the identity we find in you, that it is infectious and it causes curiosity, and that it opens up conversation, God, that we can share what it is that's different about children of God. May we be happy to do this. Lord, may there be an instant connection between the fact that you've died for us and us being compelled by love. Lord, let us, let us have the instant connection in our minds to what Paul did, that because we are new creations, because the old has passed away, because the new has come, that instantly what that means is we have been given this beautiful ministry of reconciliation that we must automatically take on to ourselves the glorious task of sharing that good news. That there is no disconnect from being forgiven and brought in as a child of God to then sharing with others the fact that they have that potential. Help us, God, with our lives and our words and with all that we do to let people know that there is a chance for them to be in Christ and thus to be new and to be full of hope. God, help us to be faithful ambassadors. I think you use that language very intentionally, that we would be as foreigners moving in a land where, where people may not see things the way we do. But God, may we be winsome, may we be bold, may we be loving, and may we be truthful. God, please don't let us fall into the trap and deception that that love and truth are at odds, that grace and truth are at odds. But God, let us see that they are inextricably connected, that, that grace and truth belong together and love and truth belong together. God, let us represent this well. Let us walk it out well and may it all be for your glory and the exaltation of your name. You're worthy of that. May we live lives in light of the good news <laughs> that we are new in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.